0: If you'd like to take your seats, we shall begin. Okay, great to have you here this morning. Can I just reiterate what Claire was saying about the barbecue? If you are inviting people, um, or you have invited people, but you weren't too sure of the numbers, I was speaking to Russell, and a few had become, how many? 16 potentially, Russell? How many are potentially coming Sixteen, did you say? Or is it Sonia's bringing sixteen or something? Yeah, I think it'd be like 10, to 13. Ten to thirteen. So, um, just as Claire was saying, we need to know so we can be able to cater effectively. Otherwise, we'll be sending everybody who's a part of DCB give up your mate uh, for somebody who's not here. So, if you don't want that to happen, uh, then please give me either you can text me through the um, details of the people that you're bringing, or else if you could write it down on the little sheet at the back, that would be much appreciated. Okay. Are we all doing well. There was that rain this morning that could completely drench you. I was out for a few minutes, and you're like, why am I soaked? Okay, so we're going to continue on with uh, faithful. You may be wondering, when does this one end? I don't know that it does. We want to be a people who are full of faith and a people who are faithful, and we're exploring what faith is, what it's not, and how we live our lives full of it. Let me go over the definition again. Faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us the assurance about things we cannot see, which is Hebrews 11, verse 1. And the Greek word is pistis, which means it's a gift from God, never something that can be produced by people. In short, for the believer, it is God's divine persuasion, and therefore distinct from human belief or confidence, yet it involves it. And the Lord continuously births faith in the yield of believers so that they can know what he prefers. And full, obviously, is a measurement, not lacking or omitting anything. And the definition that I've been using is fully persuaded by God. Have you noticed as we've gone through this any areas where, God, oh, God's actually trying to persuade me, or he is persuading me? Have you, anybody, had that experience as we go through? Often I thought that making a decision was that you went from black to white, whereas actually it's normally a progressive experience that actually you hit a certain level, which is more than you thought. You're kind of going, I don't know, I don't know. And then it hits a wee bit more and you think, I think we're going this direction. And then you're going, we really are going this direction. And then we're like, and we're going. Isn't that right? So it's quite rare where we go from black to white. It's normally this progressive change, which would show you something about God. Do we not expect him to be the national lottery? It's you. Rather than, you well, know, just gentle, just like the trees. If you keep watching, you'll see that the buds start to come, and then there's the flowers. Now, if you arrived in front of that tree, you'd go, oh, there's the flowers. But if you'd been watching it, it was an actual process. So take heart, it's a process. So if you're wanting it all now, 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 take heart that he's taking you through a process, which is to get you to the place that you don't expect at all now, 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 now. It takes time. Okay, so today we're uh, looking at unbelieving unbelief part two. I thought it deserved a couple of weeks. I want us to get a handle on what unbelief actually is, how it is a substance and how it is a negative substance that is actually present, rather than just being in a place of not being convinced. Unbelief is being convinced about the other, it's the other side, okay? If we can get a handle on what unbelief is, a handle on what the, the thoughts that come into our minds that aren't really ours, then it'll be so much easier to be able to deal with those things and sort them out. Just like if your job was to sort through a conveyor belt that was coming past you and to recognize different things. It's exactly the same with your thought life. Oh, that's because I'm tired. Don't be around me when I'm tired. I'm learning to be a little bit more pleasant, but it's not good. All right? So when I'm tired, my thoughts aren't great. I tend to get irritated easily. It's not a demon. It's just that I'm tired. So that goes in that category. All right? Let's not find a demon under every bushel. Um, there's other thoughts that come along. It's just, I'm hungry. I'm getting, maybe some of you get irritable when you're hungry. Oh, the hangry thing. My son's exactly that. He's been known to, after he's had his breakfast, say, just to say, I'm sorry about how I got on before. Three shovels fulls into his Rice Krispies. He's not demonized. He's just hungry. I heard a story about, uh, I knew this guy quite well. He was a pastor in Scotland. And he said that, uh, that one of his... Uh, <laughs> People in his church all of a sudden grabbed herself and went, Pastor, I've got a demon. He said, no, you're having a stroke. You know, there's not always about the enemy's activity. That's a very serious example. But it's not always the enemy's activity. So let's not attribute what's not him to him, okay? So we've got to let ourselves be fully persuaded that when God makes a promise, that he's going to keep it. Promises have to be taken. God's promises are always surrounded by intense opposition, as in they're tested. Have you seen that? God comes clearly and says something to you. Or you're in this process of making a decision towards um, a particular way of doing things or a change in your life. And then you decide, right, I'm going to do this. Can I ask you to turn that down just a wee bit for me, Scott? Um, when you've made that decision, doesn't it seem like all hell breaks loose? When you were up to the point of trying to make the decision, there maybe wasn't that much opposition. But when you start to, okay, I'm doing this. Okay, God, I'm up for this. Okay, I'm going to do this. I want to let you know I'm doing this. I'm doing this. And then it's like a bomb goes off. And at that point, we think, I've made a wrong decision. No, you haven't. It's just that what has been decided has to be tested. It's been our experience, hasn't it? And we often think, blown up completely wrong when actually it was just something that needed and had to be tested. Your destiny lies beyond your strongholds. So all of the areas where you, uh, God wants to push you forwards, you head up against the wall. It's, I don't like this. This is uncomfortable. I've got so many t-shirts about this one. In fact, when it comes to something that I know I should do and I get into it and I think, I hate this. I just don't like this. And why is it when I share that with my wife, she often goes, it's all right, it's going to be okay, it's not that big a deal. Which actually is what I need to hear. I could make fun of her. But half the time, when I moaned about something this morning, she went, Colin, it's just for a couple of weeks. And I went, fair point. <laughs> Start telling the kids, you know, Anna, really, it really frustrates me when I do this. And she goes, it's only a couple of weeks, darling." So your destiny lies beyond your strongholds. The enemy will attempt to remove from you the seed of promise that God has sown so that it doesn't even have the possibility of germination. And by doing that, he steals your future from you before it happened. It's never too late. If you're sitting here and you think, I have blown this for so long. I make all of these declarations. I'm going to change this. I'm going to stop this. I'm going to start this. Um, I'm trying desperately to... Shall I just look up here? Is that easier? So nobody say, you were looking at me. What are you trying to say? If you're one of those people, if we, if we all know that we are those people, aren't we? Well, it doesn't have to be that way. And to take some of the pressure off you, it's not that your destiny has been removed from you. It'll just be a little bit smaller than it could have been. But it's still your destiny sitting in front of you ready for you to take hold of. If and when you decide and choose to partner with God and give your yes and amen to what he wants to do in your life. It's still the diamond of your destiny still there. Don't let the enemy tell you it's too late. You may as well just keep on going. It's just as it is. And sure, you say to everybody, and you never do it right, and blah, 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 blah. Today is a new day. The sun has risen, and his mercies are new every morning. Now, here's the other side. You need to stop that thing, or you need to start that thing. And if you feel convicted, I sincerely do not want to remove that from you, that's God and if he's pointing at you saying you know you need to deal with that then deal with it and you will thank him in very short amount of time for the fact that you just gave him your yes and your amen okay persecution always follows promise and why well because in the enemy's assessment it's worth it and this is all about the battleground of the mind we are persuaded in our minds and the battle is won and it's lost in your mind Proverbs 23.7, I have used these verses so much and I make no apology for it. Proverbs 23.7, as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. Romans 12.2, anybody able to quote that one just like that? Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And my favorite, Second Corinthians 10:5, we demolish arguments and every pretension. Shirley's up for that one. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it to, obedient to Christ. Who's the one doing it in this verse? Who's the one doing it in this verse? Oh God, hold every one of my thoughts captive. Oh God, you destroy that pretension. Oh God, you destroy that argument. It's you. And too often we're going, Oh God, why is it like this? And He's going, You know that you've got all of the tools that you need. That's right. So whose responsibility is it? It's mine. I do that with our children a lot. Well, why are you complaining about that? Just, it's not fair. Can you change that? Suppose a kid will then change it. So we hold every thought captive. We demolish the strongholds. We're the ones that do it. If I live with the equation of thought plus feeling making reality, I will be deceived. And I've come, uh, my personality lends itself very well to just being feelings led. So Claire and I were having a conversation yesterday and I said something to her like, if you only knew the amount of traffic that goes through my head and the things that you feel and, you know... It it was exhausting. It's not exhausting anymore because it's just like watching traffic on a motorway. It just comes and goes. I don't really think about it too much. And then because I don't think about it too much, it's more like a country road. (laughs) Just with little birds tweeting half the time. And then it's like, where did the motorway come from again? Oh, the noise of the traffic. But if I lived with thought plus feeling equals reality, I would be utterly deceived. And then I'd be sitting there going, well, why is life like this? And it's because I bought a lie. When what we experience about God is not true because it feels true, or sorry, what we believe about God is not true because it feels true, nor is it true because of our experience validating it. It's true because it's true. And you've got to settle that. That whatever God says goes, whatever is truth is truth. Your subjective experience of it doesn't alter that. And too often we'll go, well, I don't, yeah, I've never really felt that, or Really, nah. really half of the time, if we're being honest, we don't like it because it doesn't accommodate the thing that we like to do that we know that we shouldn't do. Isn't that right? So when we jump on and step on with what God says is true, we have to stand and go, yeah, you're right. I'm sorry. I got it wrong. Let's not get all religious or super spiritual about it. God, I'm sorry. I don't like that that's true. But I uh, uh, okay, it's true, and I have to live like that. After a while, you'll look at yourself when you're standing and saying, I don't like that that's true, and go, what an idiot. Because you'll start to live the fruit of the goodness of God in your life. But we have to admit that sometimes the stuff that is true, that God asks us to do, we don't like it. We don't want to do it. There's nothing in us wants to do it. It hurts. Costs us something. But then when we get to the other side of that thing, we're able to go, I understand. So if you feel that way, you're in good company. God will not adjust to us. We must adjust to him. I'm sure that a lot of you have heard this one before. If you haven't, it's great. And if you have, there's benefit in it anyhow. So a battleship was on exercise at sea in bad weather. The captain was on the bridge and it was foggy. Just after dark, the lookout spotted a light on the starboard side and the captain asked if it was steady or moving. The lookout replied, the light was steady, meaning they were on direct." Collision course on a direct collision course with that ship. The captain ordered the lookout to signal to the other ship, Change course 20 degrees. We're on a collision course. The signal came back, Advisable for you to change course. The captain signaled, I am a captain, change course 20 degrees. I am a seaman, second class, it came back. You had better change course 20 degrees. The captain was furious and he sent back, I am a battleship, change course back came the signal I am a lighthouse your call (laughs) Hey, I can't believe you haven't heard that before and often we're going with God change your course because he looks he looks like a little fluffy bunny rabbit doesn't he and the Jesus that we've all been sold is the la 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 la." came in we don't like the turn over the tables Jesus very much we'll relegate him just to that verse it's like, the uh, you want to be like Jesus? Well, Jesus felt the pain of the loss that Mary and Martha had experienced and I, whenever Je- uh, Lazarus had died because it said he wept. And I guarantee you, he wasn't just weeping about Lazarus. You want to love that Jesus? The one that turns over the tables because he's enraged by what they're doing in his father's house. Well, this fluffy Jesus that we've been sold is a lighthouse. And we need to adjust our course so if you're hoping that somehow he's going to put in a, an exception clause for you, you're going to be waiting for eternity. So just get on board with the fact that you need to alter your course. We've got to adjust to him. The truth is one size fits all, but guarantee you, you will grow into it. Can you receive that? I don't like this. It doesn't feel to be true. Why does it have to be this way? Why do I have to give up that thing? I like that thing. We've done that for years. It's always the way it is. I just don't want to do that. That's not right. Jesus, I don't like it. Change it. (laughs) He's not speaking to me. You wonder why? For those of you who have children, does their nagging alter what you ask them to do? Well, here's a better question: Should their nagging alter what you ask them to do? And sometimes I'm going, "Why did I say that? That was stupid. Why did I make the boundary consequence of that? Could I not have gone something? I should have gone. I should have gone to like 10p rather than 10 grand. Why did it go? That's going to hurt us all. Oh, they've done it again. Here we go. God is a brilliant parent, and because he's a brilliant parent, the amount of nagging that you do is not going to benefit him, nor is it going to benefit you. Okay. Some of you are laughing, probably because you're like, so true. I've been doing this all my life. Adjust your course. Unbelief. Unbelief has been sent to persuade you. What is unbelief? Well, spiritually, it's a negative substance that detracts from a faith environment. Um, do you remember Fraggle Rock? Do any of you remember it? <laughs> <laughs> Well, there were the Fraggles were by Jim Henson, so they were Muppets. I was watching it with the kids yesterday. It was brilliant. And they were all like, who was your favorite? Um, and in Fraggle Rock, do you remember the Doozers? The Doozers built the wee, clear buildings. And what did the Fraggles always come and do? They always came and ate it. I always felt for the Doozers. Doozers were working so hard, and the Fraggles just came and ate it. So the Doozers, and this, this is, I'm going to pull a faith analogy out of Fraggle Rock. Do you help us? So... If you imagine that the doozers are the ones that are building faith and the fraggles are the unbelief, you've got a picture of exactly what unbelief does. So whatever faith builds up, unbelief comes and actually attacks that thing. So it's not that it's just a, well, I just don't believe that. It's a, I don't believe that. Does that make sense? It's not a, I'm not sure where I stand. It's a, no, I'm in direct opposition to you and that thing. So it actually is a physical substance as much as we're told in Hebrews, Hebrews 11, one, I think it is, that faith is the substance of, well, anti-faith or unbelief is the substance of the negative uh, paradox, really, of what faith actually is. So definition of unbelief is apistos, which is not faithful because being unpersuaded, not convinced, not persuaded by God, and it doesn't always refer to the unconverted. It describes someone who rejects or refuses God's unbirthing of faith. And I want to give you a biblical example of the effect of unbelief on the ministry of Jesus. On the ministry of Jesus? On the ministry of Jesus? You think that, well, if Jesus was here, he would have done that? Well, he is here and he's present in you, so you need to get on with it. But also, unbelief deeply affected what he was able to do. This is Mark six one to six. Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many heard him and were amazed. Where did this man get these things from? They asked. What's his wisdom that has been given him? What are these remarkable miracles he's performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense. Notice that they had to take it. Jesus said to them, a prophet is not, is not without honor except in his own town, among his relatives, and in his own home. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their unbelief. So their unbelief actually limited what was possible. And they tripped over the fact that they knew him from his birth. That's why it's so profound that John the Baptist declared, what did John the Baptist say when he saw him walk across in front of him? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away... or. Do you notice the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world? In the Old Testament, the Lamb only covered over the sin, whereas this Lamb was going to remove the sins of the world. Before Jesus, the blood sacrifices only covered it over. By Jesus, they were taken away. John saw who Jesus was in the Spirit, even though it was likely that they grew up together. He saw who he really was. John had been affected by the the presence of the Messiah before he'd been born. Let me read you this. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth, who was John's mum. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby, who was John, leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And in a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me as soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. So John recognized who Jesus was. He was not an unbelief. And as a side I want to say to you, don't assume that what's been revealed to you has been revealed to others even though it's obvious to you. Does that make sense? I was, I'm going to be nice to you, which you won't like. But we were recently at a wedding. It was Ruth and Iron's wedding. Welcome back, Ruth and Iron. Yay! <clears throat> Mr. and Mrs. McFall. And um, somebody comment, commented, isn't it annoying how beautifully Nathan plays seemingly any instrument? Doesn't he? Like, it, you know, in the mornings when he first just strums, I'm like, oh, God. Or the piano this morning. Or this morning he had Isaac plinking two wee notes. And uh, he's, Nathan just casually comes over. And I thought, he, oh. And Isaac's loving it, and he loves spending time with you. He loves it, and he loves coming and building all this stuff. And he's plinking away, and Nathan says, just you keep doing this. He starts just playing this beautiful chords around it. And meanwhile, you're just hearing my wee son just doing what he's called to do. And all around it is this beautiful sound coming from someone who's a father. If that's not an image of what God wants to do with us, I don't know what is. But I could have wiped my little eyeballs out. Because Isaac was having a blast. He felt involved and noticed, and that someone's imputing value to him. And he, what did Isaac come to me straight afterwards and say? Daddy Nathan says, I'm really good. Some of you are like the little Isaac, and you just need a father to come and say, You're really good at this. But because we've got that bit older, we start to kick it away and go, Well, no, we can't receive that. You need a father someone who's a father in something to come and say, you're really good at that. You can do it. And in those words, there's life and there's blessing. Now, what point was I trying to make? Anyway, Nathan's really good at that. To him, that's normal, right? That's his normal. It's not my normal. I can't pick up a violin, nor play as beautifully like that, or play the guitar like that. Or as he said to me, I oh, could okay, just taught myself. <laughs> I'm like, it's incredible. That's his normal. If he assumes that that's everybody else's normal, he is totally deceived. It's not. So the things that are normal to you, that if God has revealed to you, he hasn't revealed to everybody else. That's why John shouted, you need to look and see that that is the Lamb of God who will take away the sins of the whole world because it had been revealed to him. So what God has revealed to you, don't stay quiet about it. What has been revealed, declared to others. So why do we let ourselves be persuaded by unbelief? Well, a couple of things I think. We've decided on our own limitations or those imposed on us determining what we're capable of of, and what is true of ourselves. Or we are afraid of what we've not experienced. Or we've had a negative experience of something. Or we're deceived. I want to read a little excerpt from The Silver Chair for you by C.S. Lewis from The Chronicles of Narnia. Are you all familiar with that? Have you read it before or seen it before? Yeah, so I don't have to explain the context too much. And also, just as an aside, do you know that in the C.S. Lewis Square in Belfast that there's the sculpture, it's called The Seeker, and there's the wardrobe? Do you know on the back of that there's a letter? And the letter is the only letter where C.S. Lewis explained to, I think it was an eight-year-old girl, he asked what are the Chronicles of Narnia about, and he lays out what each of the books are actually about in terms of the scripture. So it's worthwhile going down and checking that out. So basically, Aslan, if you don't know anything about the Chronicles of Narnia, we're stuffed. Aslan is the lion, and he's the king. He's like Jesus. He sends a marsh wiggle called Puddleglum, just stay with me, and two children to liberate Prince Rillian, who is held captive by a witch. She's enchanted Rillian into believing that he's not who he is, and that land um, that he is to heir does doesn't even exist, and that it's only a dream. So they end up facing the witch, who tries to enchant them, to stop them from getting really and back to Narnia by deceiving them that Narnia is not really real. And if you miss that this is actually true as to what the enemy does in our lives, then you miss the whole point. So please listen. And so Puddle Puddleglum speaks up and he says, one word, ma'am, he said, one word. All you've been saying is quite right, I shouldn't wonder. I'm a chap who always likes to know the worst and then put the best face I can on it. So I won't deny any of what you've said, but there's one thing more to be said. Even so, suppose we have only dreamed up or made up all these things, trees and grass and sun and moon and stars and Aslan himself. Suppose we have, then all I can say is that in that case, the made up things seem a good deal more important than the real ones. Suppose this black pit of a kingdom of yours is the only world. Well, it strikes me it's a pretty poor one. And that's a funny thing when you come to think of it. We're just babies making up a game, if you're right. But four babies playing a game can make a play world which licks your real world hollow. That's why I'm going to stand by the play world. I'm on Aslan's side, even if there isn't any Aslan to lead it. I'm going to live life as a Narnian, as I can, as best I can, even if there isn't any Narnia. So thanking you kindly for our supper. If these two gentlemen and the young lady are ready, we're leaving your court at once and setting out in the dark to spend our lives looking for overland, which they called Narnia. Not that our lives will be very long, I should think, but that's small loss if the world's as dull as a place as you say it is. And at that point, the witch then turned into a true form, which was a snake and really killed her. I dare you to believe that with God, nothing is impossible. I dare you. I dare you to believe that you can do it. That thing that you think that you can't, you keep feeling that, you can do it. What if, what if Nathan's words to Isaac are a seed that's sown to grow into something bigger than a, an oak tree? I don't know. I'm not prophesying anything. I'm not, I'm not going there. But what if? What if you're enough? What if you actually are beautiful? Or you're worth it. Or you won't feel, Or you can stop that thing. Or you can start the thing that you've been putting off. James 4, 7, Submit yourselves then to God, and all that he says is true. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. The word resist literally means to take a complete stand against. It's a 180-degree contrary position. It means to establish one's position publicly by clearly holding one's ground and refusing to be moved or pushed back. It means to oppose fully, means to forcefully declare one's personal conviction, where you unswervingly stand, to keep your possession, to passionately stand without giving up or letting go. It was a military term in classical Greek, meaning to strongly resist an opponent. If you think that you're going to get through this by not doing that, then I am really sorry that you believe that because you've bought a lie. You have an enemy who hates you and wants to throw all of his resources at you. And you need to respond in kind. And the word flee there means to escape, flee, or run away. You think that the enemy sort of goes, well not getting in today. He flees. I was getting a bit of hassle this week. Stuff on my mind. Just flack and hassle and just... And I know enough to go, God, you're true no matter what. And I was just, you know, in the process of going, you're true no matter what. And as I walked, I thought, you're going to regret doing that to me. Now, we're not, listen, I've heard people stand and go, we're going to stomp on the devil's head, and we're going to take down this principality over this area, and it was like throwing hatchets at the moon, as Paul, John Paul Jackson said. We don't want to do that, but what I do know is that I've been having significant hassle in my head this week. What I also know is that God is good. What I also know is that he works everything together for the good of loves who love him. So that little trial and little bit of adversity, if I yield to God, and it will cause me to get even stronger, have greater authority, and be able to stand and go, nope. And He has to escape from my presence when I am yielding to His presence. He doesn't go. We'll try another time. Although He likely will, but He has to flee. Do you understand? We are dealing with a created being that would have us believe that he is greater than the very God that created him. You have to decide who you're going to let to influence you and persuade you. Would you stand with me? The enemy cannot stay, stay where he cannot stand so one of the things I want to say to you is, as we're finishing is stop making room for the enemy. And then complaining that your house is a mess. You just, it, it just, it doesn't stand. It doesn't work. We have to know what it is we're doing. And I, I apologize if in some ways this comes across as being harsh. I don't intend it to be. But what you do need to know is there's a lot at stake here. You're worth a whole heap. If a man just by saying to a little boy you're really good at that causes that boy to start to be fully persuaded that possibly he could be excellent at that and possibly who knows where that could go, then he is worth a whole heap for that one phrase. And we live our lives connected to so many that we can influence, to so many that need to hear the good news that we know, the things that have been revealed to us that we've got to declare on So as always, you know that every time we speak, we always ask you to respond. So here's some questions to help you to do that. Are you starting to realize that you've been sold a lie, but even worse, that you've bought it? Or do you want to submit to God and resist the devil so that he has to flee from your presence? One of the things that the enemy will do is to say to you, that's a whole heap of nonsense. I ain't going anywhere. But he has to flee if you submit to God and resist him? And then finally, do you believe but you need help with your own belief? If you can answer yes to any of those things or you just want ministry, please come and join me now at the front. We've stood here a lot of Sunday mornings and responded to what you've asked us to do. And we asked that this morning would be a little bit different. We ask that there would be fruit that is evident quickly because it's the absence of something. So I want to encourage you this morning that if you're coming here and you know that there's something you need to let